welcome everyone to the Food, Farms, and Chefs radio show with restaurant industry author Kevin Wilson, highly acclaimed chef Gene Blum, and food photojournalist Amaris Pollock. Join them as they interview the biggest names in the restaurant industry, tell you about the latest food trends, and give you recipes and cooking tips too. So let's get the show started. Welcome to our listeners around the world via the podcast and on our Facebook podcast platform. Our listeners on our FM station in New York and our listeners on our two Philadelphia radio stations. It's Tuesday evening drive time for you. We have a great show today, so let's get the show started. Hi, everyone. I would like to introduce all of our Food Farms and Chefs fans to the amazing and talented chef Franco Lombardo. He is the owner of Sapori and Collingswood. Franco, thank you for joining us on the show. You're welcome. Thanks, um, Jeff, for joining us. Thank you. <laughs> so I just want to say to all of our listeners out there, I've actually experienced your, your restaurant. I was introduced to you through uh, my father who started, who found you. He's been going through all of the different restaurants in that, that area. And he landed in your restaurant and absolutely fell in love uh, with your food and with you. And as well as his uh, constant companion for, you know, eating out um, Kelsey. So shout out to both of them um, for introducing me to you. But um, why don't you tell our listeners like how you got into this and like who might have inspired you and your family? Because I know growing up, you know, families, everything, sitting around the table and eating a delicious meal is one of the biggest, you know, participating like things that happen inside, you know, your own family growing up. So is there anybody in your, your life that inspired you to, you know, dot, delve into becoming a chef? Uh, I think it was always my destiny, and the destiny as a funny way of find, uh, finding you. Um, I, I actually went to school for mechanical engineer, and then decided it was not my thing. You know, even though I have a very rational, logical, engineer-driven mind, food was always my passion since I was little. Um, I remember I had I grew up with a lot of cousins, um, and obviously my grandmother, Italian, my aunts, uh, everybody would get together for every holiday. And even the weeks before the holidays, we'll get together every month, every night, uh, um, you know, and they will display different type of recipes, different type of cookies. And I was always hungry. Uh, but it wasn't because I was hungry. My mother just said, I just fed you at home before we came to see Aunt Anna, for example, right? But it wasn't hungry. It wasn't because I was hungry. I was always interested in tasting some other dishes prepared by other women. And because I grew up with only women cooked around me, sorry. Um, uh, so growing up, exposed to family uh, cooking. Uh, and then growing up in Italy where, you know, it, it, you can't help it. You grew up in the land of food, land of pastry, land of bakery. Um, you know, it's all around you. It's not just, you're not just exposed to it home when you're with your family, you get out of the house, you're exposed to it. You know, the street vendor, the guy who sold the bread, the guy who sold the fish on the corner, the guy who sold, uh, you know, uh, the herbs, uh, you just uh, and they were very loud and they were part of the very charismatic characters actually they were part of the town they were like characters that made the town uh, we had a very arabic influence in sicily so every street vendor yells without a megaphone but i swear to you they sound like they have one <laughs> but without a megaphone, you can hear from the end of town 
uh, one, you know, used to sell basil, one used to sell oregano, one other guy used to sell fish, uh, meat, and uh, and one of my uncles was a street vendor, actually, you know, he had a little, little tiny truck and he would ring the bell and people from the balcony will fall down the rope with the basket and that's how the shopping was done. Um, so even when I was out playing with my, my friends, it was always food, like food around me everywhere. So I was always interested in tasting it. Um, and I also grew up in an area where you could just uh, eat off of trees, fruit, never bought fruit, never bought vegetables, everywhere you went, you just picked up. And, and then I decided to get a job because I've always been a bread lover. So my very first job at age 10 was at a bakery. So I don't know if you remember, I make my own bread. When you came to the restaurant, you tasted the bread? Yeah, it was, it was very that, good. It that was, was nice. That was me. Yeah, it had that my, nice, my, crispy My crust. first job. <laughs> so then I started working for a local restaurant with some uh, very hard-headed uh, chefs. Um, and um, I don't think most people nowadays will last a day under those uh, circumstances, but I did. Because um, I was always uh, eager to learn. It tastes good. Now I got to know how it's, how it's made. And I took classes, obviously I went to the Korean Institute of Palermo, but I didn't get to graduate because um, I was already doing the mechanical engineering. So I did the courses, what I needed, and then I had the fortune of working with some local restaurant there where the chefs were actually teachers at the school. Um, then when I came here, I landed in LA and I worked for a chef from Florence in Orange County. Actually, let me back up. Before that, I moved to Sicily. I went to Parma, outside of Bologna. So I got influenced by that region, um, which was totally different than what I was used to. Um, and that was a, an open, you know, a, it opened my eyes. Like, oh, it's not just the one I know, the one I grew up with. There's more cuisine than, and, and Italy has a lot of, uh, we have 20, 20 regions. So we have 20 regional cuisine. And within the regions, you have an average of seven provinces. So then there's a subdivision of seven provinces where the food changes from region to region, from uh, province to province. So it's like endless. Um, it was fascinating to me. And then when I came to Los Angeles, I, I started working for this chef from Florence, then moved to Philly and I started working for my guy from Cinque Terre in the Liguria area. I started La Spezia, between La Spezia in Genoa. Um, and then I decided to open my own. And that's why I, I embrace many regions. I don't do strictly Sicilian cuisine. I embrace the other regions too. Yeah, that's actually funny because that's one of the things that I was going to ask you is, you know, because you grew up in Sicily, because you, you know, in Italy and the Mediterranean, I know that you're very close in close proximity to other countries and continents. Um, you know, so I was going to ask you, like, did any of that, that influence your cook, any cooking and, you know, inspire some of the cuisines that you have? in your restaurant. And I know it has because you use, you know, saffron, which is not typically something that you, that I see in, you know, in any kind of Sicilian or Italian dish, um, you know, so. Well, if you do go to Sicily, you will realize that we do have a lot of saffron in Sicily. It's oh, yeah. occupied among other people by the Arabs uh, for the longest time. So things like saffron, pineapples, raisins, uh, even our own pastry um, derives from the Arab occupation. But again, all the Sicilian or so-called uh, self-defined Sicilian cuisine that you find here is not really authentic. I, and I'm telling you that as a Sicilian, not as a chef, not as a restaurant owner. Yeah. Sometimes I, I bump into restaurants where they say Sicilian cuisine and I look at the menu and I'm like, there's nothing Sicilian about this. <laughs> uh, but, you know, most people don't know unless you're from there. Um, you know, and then within the island of Sicily, the food difference. If you're along the coast, it's all based on octopus and sardines and 
locally produced, uh, locally grown um, vegetables, but mostly fish and seafood. If you go in, in inland uh, in the mountain area, it's all about boar and rabbits and unpasteurized cheese. There's very little fish available. Um, and so it, it, uh, it's, it was always fascinating to me. How, and I thought that growing up, I thought that every, everybody in the, every, everywhere in the world functioned the same way we did in, in Sicily. Okay, you, you're here, you eat what grows here. You move to, you know, you drive 10 miles away, the food you eat was grown or produced in the area that you're in. And for the most part, that's how it was growing up. There was no, nothing came from outside, nothing. Um, and, you know, and it's very good that you grew up with that kind of influence too, because it's a lot of the foods that I, that I saw on your menu, you know, all of them were kind of light and airy. They weren't like very heavy filling for sure. Um, but definitely lighter and heavy, heavy influence on the seafood. And I love seafood. So when I got there and I saw your menu, I was like, oh, this is definitely a place for me. <laughs> uh, I have a thing about seafood. I love seafood. I love seafood too. Um, and I can't remember, or I can't recall if you had octopus on, on your regular menu, but definitely. Do, yeah. Oh, you do? Okay. I, do. Um, I definitely, the next time that I go there, I have to order something with octopus or like something with the um, the uh, squid ink pasta. Cuttlefishing. Cuttlefish, yes. So, um, you know, because I want to also say like when I ate there, uh, you know, you're, we ordered a bunch of different dishes and one of the dishes that we ordered was um, a meat-based dish. I think it was it, pork tenderloin or something to that matter. Um, and when you presented it, it was on the bone, but it just fell off. It was like almost like cutting into like butter. It was so soft. Um, that was so delicious and so tasty, but it was, um, it almost tasted like the, the flavors that you infused it with were simply just the ingredients. You didn't add like a ton of spices. It was just the flavors that, you know, come from like the meats and the fish and, and whatnot. So how, how did you come about, you know, creating these dishes and, and bringing this, the tasting profiles that you do in your restaurant to the plate? I believe you're referring to the um, pork ribs uh, and pork sauces that was braised with porcini peas. Yes. Carrots. That's the one you had there. Yeah, uh, we shared that. Yeah, <laughs> I normally do it with tomato sauce because a lot of people in the area you know, like the meat that is braised in tomato sauce and it's tasty and I love it. Uh, but in you know, these past few weeks, I've been able to find locally grown peas from Violent, locally grown carrots from Violent as well. Um, so when they're around, I try to make recipe based on what's in season and what grew within a few miles from where I am. From now until November, I think I buy everything from, most of my vegetables from Violent. So I try to use them. I buy 50 to 100 pound case of, of fresh peas and you have to shell them one by one. People look at me like, you just buy a bag. <laughs> it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. And, you know, even if I had to spend four hours cleaning it myself, it's relaxing. It, you know, it relaxes you. It makes you, because you time to think of other recipe or anything. And it's just, it's a labor of love. You know, when you cook it, you realize, wow, there is a difference. There is a difference. So having local carrots, local peas, and the pork ribs, I'm like, oh, it's an easy recipe. All I got to do is not use tomato. I use the peas. I use the carrots. I use the porcini, which I bring from Italy. And it's a classic. Rosemary, very few spices. I don't use a lot of spices because I believe you're supposed to taste the main ingredients of the recipe. It's exactly. when you use ingredients that are not too flavorful, they get to do miracles with spices. 
<laughs> exactly. And, you know, and I tasted it when I was biting into all of the different dishes that, you know, we had ordered, you know, each bite, like if you took the, the meat individually versus the vegetables or just kind of compiled it together, each bite carried through that profile, mm -hmm. which is wonderful. And it's a, an amazing tasting, you know, experience. And I think that everybody should 100% go visit you because it's an experience worthwhile. Um, and off of that, when people go visit you, you chose uh, Collingswood, New Jersey as, you know, your home to set up your restaurant. And it's extremely popular. Um, and, you know, for every good reason. Uh, but how did you come about deciding to, you know, open up a location in Collingswood and what is the, the significance of your name? So you just said that you were able to taste the flavors of individual ingredients. That's why I named the restaurant Sapore. Sapore in Italian is flavors. And that's what you should experience whenever you take a bite of something. You know, I just want to taste the piece, if I'm tasting the piece, I want to taste the carrots and I really want to taste the carrot, I want to oh. taste the meat and everything's got to blend together in, in a perfect harmony of, of, uh, of flavors. Uh, so that's why I chose Savoy. Um, Collinswood came about because I was living there. I, I worked in Philly, you know, city, and I was expecting my first son and I was trying to buy a house in Philly, which is was almost impossible. Um, so I decided to move outside of the city and my agent literally was looking, you know, maniac, uh, all the outskirts of Philadelphia, and I wasn't too crazy about the Northeast Philly or North Philly, so I said, well, why don't we just take the Ben Franklin and see what's there? And my agent found the location at my house in Collinswood. I had no idea where Collinswood was, uh, so it was pure fate. I just happened to be there at the right time. Um, I was looking for a location in the Army Museum area uh, near the old prison, and I couldn't find the right size, the right square footage for the money. And then one day I'm walking down Adonai, I mean, and I bumped into somebody and he said there was a location, uh, even though it wasn't the outskirts of town, there was nothing really going on where I am now. Uh, back in the day, it was just an empty lumber yard and I was the first restaurant there. And a lot of restaurants, or the three, four restaurants that were already existing uh, were on the other side of Collins Avenue. So when people came from Adam to Enchery Hill, they will hit that light, Collins Avenue, and mm -hmm. thought, okay, this is the end of Collinsville, now it's Camden. So nobody really ventured uh, on the other side. It took a long time. But, you know, that gave me a chance to slowly introduce my food, which people weren't used to it. Um, I, did, I did ask some people getting up and leave because they didn't see chicken parm in the menu. <laughs> I once telling me that I wasn't Italian because that was not Italian food. Uh, I remember almost wanting to take my passport to the work and show them that I was. <laughs> um, but it was pure fate. I happened to be there at the right time. Uh, Collins was going through this uh, marketing uh, campaign, and I think they made an awesome job with that. And it was just, I guess, meant to be. It was meant to be. Now, I feel like Jean's probably jumping at the bit to like ask you a question. So I'm sure Jean, Jean has something for Jean, you. Yes. <laughs> well, Chef, I love listening to your upbringing in Italy. And to me, that that passion that you have you know, one of the things that I, I constantly go back to, and I have a very good friend of mine who is a owner of a wonderful Italian restaurant up in this way that I go to a lot and I've spent a lot of time with him is that, you know, growing up in Italy, in America, I should say, in America, we eat almost like a chore. Yes. In Italy, 
it's you know, and, and in many parts of Europe, you it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. It's a joy. It's a you know, we 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 look at the world differently. So if you could give a bit of advice coming from Italy and here to America to our listeners about food, what would that advice be? Um, what would that advice be? Um, <coughs> cooking is not as complicated as people think. There are very easy, executable recipe uh, that requires very few ingredients. It can be found at a local store without having to go crazy, you know, looking for them. Um, and by doing that, it it, uh, it opens the book for you to start reading. And, and once you do that, you find pleasure in cooking and tasting what you can, then you try to improve yourself. So becoming a little home chef is not that difficult. Or even making a simple, healthy meal at home. You know, with, with the inflation, everything going on, you know, going out is expensive. During the pandemic, we, everybody was forced to stay home. Um, and I think maybe for the most part uh, during the pandemic, a lot of people started venturing in cooking something. You know, now we have internet. There are some websites with uh, great recipes that you can execute with no issue, with no knowledge of any um, techniques. Um, but I, I, my advice to the people is eat when you're not going out to eat. And I do want people obviously to come out and eat because I own a restaurant. But I also think that you can eat out every night. And those nights that you choose not to, uh, it's okay to venture into something in the kitchen, like cook something from scratch. Uh, don't use a lot of herbs, uh, very few, um, and stuff from a simple, a simple chicken, for example, and few vegetables found at your local market. Right now in Collinswood, there's an open market on Saturday. You find, you know, lettuces of all kinds, rucola, beets, uh, beets leaves, uh, Tuscan kale, and they're tasty. You know, they're only grown an hour away. So you don't have to do much to it. Um, so at least when you go out, you have a little more of a knowledge now what to expect. And hey. it, it makes, yeah. But it's not, you know, it, 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 like you said earlier, it, it's not <coughs> considered chores in Italy. It's it's a pleasure. Eating is a pleasure. I was telling my kids that every bite I take whenever I eat something, it's a pleasure. I'm not just doing that to satisfy my appetite. And I also eat like, like I was back home. I eat pasta every day. I don't think I've missed a day in my life without eating pasta. Um, it's just, just part of my upbringing. You have to have pasta. And it's usually at lunchtime. So you have a whole day to digest those carbs. Um, my kids used to make fun of me. Papa, pasta again? It's not a matter of making pasta. It's deciding what kind of sauce I'm going to put in that pasta. Because it changes sure. every day. But pasta, it's a complete meal. You know, it gives you the carbohydrates and it gives you the vitamins or the protein, whatever you're putting into it, vegetables, or it doesn't have to be, you know, ragu all the time. Like, for example, the fava beans for a few weeks ago, the fava beans were in, in season, so I I, but I probably overpaid because everything just too much money, but the flavor, the pleasure of shelving the fava, then taking the skin off and making, for me, it brings back memory because this is what I grew up with. I used to see my grandmother cleaning the fava beans and my mother and then cooking it. The kitchen smell like that. So it's like, it brings back memories, happy memories, even a smell. Um, so that is um, a pleasure in each, each meal. That's why I have a hard time going out sometimes. Because, you know, without naming any restaurant, there are restaurants that you go to that don't really have any taste whatsoever. I'm like, uh, this is, I'm not here just to satisfy my acid producing my stomach. I'm here to find pleasure, you know. My kids will have to tell I you when we're, sitting, when we're sitting down. 
wine, I get something I put in my mouth. I look at them like this is the simple pleasure of life. Sip a little wine that goes with it. You taste the vegetables or the meat or the octopus or the sea urchins, whatever I'm cooking, lamb, what you know, anything. Like this is the simple pleasure of life. And it's the way communion was intended to be, I think. I, I do think that food is a universal language. It's something Absolutely. we could all share and we could all understand no matter what the type of food is, no matter where you go in the world, sitting down at the table and mm -hmm. breaking bread is communication yes. and it's an acknowledgement and it's it's a you know, it's a sense of family when you do that. You know, when you're invited to break bread with somebody, there's something to be said for that. And you know, here in America and I, I would say just look at the amount of fast food that we have, you know, we do this says this, you know, oh, I got to get something to eat. And in Italy, it's the other way around. We start off thinking about what we're going to have, how, what, how are we going to celebrate the day? How are we going? You know, to what's funny, Jim, you know, what's funny? <laughs> Only in Italy, I've seen this. You are having lunch. Why are you having lunch? You're already thinking and wondering what we're going to have for dinner. And, right. and uh, oh yeah, it happens every, at every in every house. And now that I lived away from Italy for so long, when I go back, I actually point out to my cousins and my aunts because we could be like twenty of us eating, and you know we all like did an hour or two of preparation. We're finally sitting down, we're eating, and then there's always someone on the group who says "mom" like with that exclamation, as if it's even a question that we're not gonna eat tonight, right? Of course, we're going to eat because we eat three times a day. But they they emphasize the ma, which means who knows? What if we don't get to eat tonight? Speaking of eating, while we're eating, what are we going to prepare for tonight? And I'm like, well, we're still eating lunch. <laughs> we're going to be sitting down for an hour for a three-course lunch, and we're already wondering what we're going to have for dinner. That tells you how much passion we have in food. <laughs> it's, it's a wonderful thing. It it's is. a wonderful thing. I, I admire that. I, um, you know, I, right now, the little things, uh, uh, I received that email from a friend of mine in, who owns an Italian restaurant, and he was just talking about how his zucchini blossoms are coming out, mm -hmm. so he picked a number, and they're at the restaurant, and they're making stuffed zucchini blossoms, and, you know, soft-shell crabs, and talking about, you know, the dinner specials, and <clears throat> that's what life's supposed to be. It's those, you know, you wander and you look and what's fresh and seasonable and, you know, what you can create and the wonderful things that you can share that are very simple. You, you use the finest ingredients at the best time and you get mm -hmm. the best food. I want to pop on. Okay, flower just came out. This, is the, this was the first weekend. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I want to, no, no, it's your fine. I want to pop on because, uh, I should also mention, given the two men that I'm on, on the radio with right now, both of you create limoncello and different types of cello uh, from scratch. So Jean actually makes some uh, every year for Christmas and gives them out for holidays. And you make them and have that, you know, kind of like as a secret. I'm, I'm kind of ruining the secret, but I feel like it's not on the menu, but if you know, you know. <laughs> Um, you have different well, we, we we can we can sell it so we give a complimentary with the with the dessert um, yeah I think the last time I gave you the red beets cello 
You did. It was so interesting um, because, and I said it in the in the actual restaurant. You know, he he come he kind of balanced it really well with uh, the sweetness and the the earthiness of the beets, um, which I wasn't sure how that was going to turn out. Um, but because beets obviously have that that very strong earthy, earthy you know, yes, yeah. um, whereas you know any kind of cello is very sweet and you know very easy to drink down um which is why you have it with dessert or as you know an after dinner drink because it also helps you digest um but you definitely balanced it really well and in hat you know i thought i have to let gene know that you do this because <laughs> well, I, bought a, I bought i bought a, ba a case of red beets from my grower in violin kevin because he always gives me more than I order. And I had all these beats. And there's only so many beats I could use for my menu. And I'm like, they're so good and tasty. And, the, and they were grown an hour away from me. It's a shame to make them go bad. So I say, you know what? I have had, I made limoncello with beets once. And some people love it. Some people didn't care for it. But I decided to make it for those who love beets. And if you love beets, if you like beets, you, you, that, that goes down easily. However, if you don't like beets, it's the worst thing ever. <laughs> People don't understand how wonderful the cellos you can make with it. I, I make a basil cello as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's I, good. I love my basil cello, and I particularly love it drizzled over a little good lemon sorbet. Yes. I just think it's yes. a perfect combination of that cold citrus, you know, sorbet with the basil cello. And basil cello is probably the easiest of all cellos to make because it takes about a week and you know it, it doesn't take long and it's very i'm know, gonna share thing. i'm gonna share with you even a simple easy one if you can actually find fresh bay leaf try uh -huh. to make it with that it has to be fresh bay leaf it has to be fresh though not the dry ones that we well, find no, here no. i have i and have make... a, i have a bay laurel tree i have a okay. bay laurel bush so oh you do yeah. I'll buy a Ziploc bag of bay leaf from you if you are. I, if you I have a lot. Chef, I'll come over and bring you a bag. It would be my pleasure. And then, and then I'll give you my recipe, which is very simple. But that is one of the one of the, the most delicious cello I've ever made and tasted. It's a beautiful color. It's a beautiful green color, and it tastes amazing. And bay leaf also settles your stomach. Growing up, yes. whenever we had a stomach ache, well, we have a lot. Our grandmother made us tea with bay leaf or sometimes with the flower of the uh, cactus pears. We have about yeah, two, we have, a tight, we have a tight two minutes left and then we have to uh, round you up. But Gene, do you have <coughs> another question for Franco? I'm good, thank you. Okay, so um, Franco, where, what specials are you running right now for the 4th of July and throughout the week um, and then what where can our listeners find you so right now i'm using um as i said a lot of produce and vegetables from violin so i started doing the zucchini flowers um last week i did them with anchovies and mozzarella this week i'm doing it with smoked mozzarella and prosciutto and then i do a, a butter with durum flour and eggs i found about a locally grown peas locally grown carrots. so i'm doing like a summer pasta soup dish where I, I break down the linguine and I cook the linguine with the peas and the chickpeas and the fava beans all together. So as it cooks, the starch gets released into it. That's an advice that I give everybody. Whenever you cook any legumes, beans, lentils, don't cook the pasta separately. Cook it in it with the, when, the, when the lentils and the legumes are ready, that's where you cook the pasta. 
Nice. Now, where can we find you online? And obviously, we find you in Collingswood, New Jersey. <laughs> Collingswood, yes. Uh, you find us on uh, Facebook, Sapori Trattoria Italiana Collingswood. Uh, I always emphasize to put down Collingswood. There's a lot of supporters in the United States, uh, so we might find the wrong one. Supporting Collingswood, uh, Facebook, obviously Instagram, and then the website is support.info. I'm also doing a monkfish caponata this week uh, with Sicilian eggplant locally grown environment. They're phenomenal. You don't have to soak them. They're not bitter. There's not a lot of seeds. And the monkfish, which I, I love, is a great texture fish, um, goes well with eggplant. Absolutely. I'm doing that. I'm doing... I went to the food shows and uh, last week in New York, two weeks ago, and I got this uh, smoked burratina that is phenomenal. Um, so I'm doing that. And I'm doing a bruschetta with uh, avocado, smoked salmon, and lemon, and a seafood salad, a classical seafood salad with octopus, shrimp, crems, calamari, celery, olives, lemon vinaigrette, simple, refreshing. Well, that sounds delicious. And I look forward to joining your, your rest or visiting you again, I should say. And hopefully Jean can join me. But thank you so much for joining us on Food Friends and Chefs. Thank you, Chef. Absolutely. I would like uh, to a few days in advance notice because I want to make you and Jean a fregola sarda pasta with sepia. Okay, nice. We will set it up and I will bring you a bag of fresh bay leaves. <laughs> and I will owe you for life. And I will make a limoncello and share it with you. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Jean. Thank you. Thank you. Let's take a break and we'll be right back. To become a sponsor of our show and have your business or event promoted on every single podcast platform, two Philadelphia radio stations on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. evening drive time, an FM station in New York, send us an email to either foodfarmsandchefs at yahoo.com or diningonadime at yahoo.com. Well, good morning, everyone. Being... Around the 4th of July season, I wanted to discuss one of our favorite topics at Food Farms and Chefs, as well as one of my favorite topics as a chef in general, a lover of food, somebody who will travel great distances for unique culinary experiences. So what a better topic this time of year as we're celebrating uh, 4th of July, the biggest holiday of the season, uh, the summer season, to talk about barbecue. Barbecue is as American as Budweiser, apple pie, and Chevy. And the art of barbecuing is a deeply rooted tradition across the USA and many regional types of barbecue techniques, seasonings, sauces exist within this country. It's not to say barbecue is an American art form or American cooking form. When Christopher Columbus came to the New World and he came to the Caribbean, his crews discovered uh, native tribes in the Caribbean that were grilling meats and fishes on green wood over top of open flame. We know that as barbacoa. It's a unique style all to itself. It's a fabulous thing. Native Americans were doing barbecue, and barbecue has been in existence for, you know, thousands of years. Recently, archaeologists discovered a giant fire pit with the bones of over three woolly mammoths in the fire pit. Now, that's one hell of a barbecue party. <laughs> I just hope they had enough beer to go with it. So, the variety of styles and is directly 
linked to the history of colonial colonialism and immigration. And to be honest, barbecue existed and just was refined by America. But I like to say barbecue is a uniquely American thing because we made it so special. As I said, when when Columbus discovered the Caribbean, they were grilling meat, they were doing barbecue, uh, barbacoa. But it also has tremendous roots in the African and Native American tribes who were often enslaved and conquered by the European colonists. Each brought their own flavor profiles, techniques, and side dishes to barbecue as we know it in America. And the fact is, we owe a debt of gratitude to the slaves who not only were treated horribly, but who brought us many of the wonderful barbecue flavors that we use today and that we call the American style barbecue. While the big barbecue regions in America are usually defined as four and the primary focus of those you know, regions and styles and classes um, are identified as Texas, Kansas City, um, Carolinas, and Memphis. Barbecue is such a regional, regional item, depending on the sauce, the style of cooking, the meat that's used, the flavors, whether it's a wet rub, whether it's a dry rub, whether it's smoked over hickory or other woods, you know, all these blending to it all the way down to whether sometimes chemicals are used in that. So let's talk about some of these types of barbecues so you can understand. And at the end of it all, we're going to talk a little bit about some of my favorite barbecue places in the nation, as well as in the local area. So let's talk about some of the big ones right off the bat. Memphis, the birthplace of rock and roll, the home of the blues. You know, what goes better with barbecue than a little bit of Elvis? You know, it's, it's really a Mecca, but it's based on the fact that it's along the Mississippi River. It's a great barbecue Mecca. Memphis barbecue is based on particularly pork. Shoulders, butts, ribs are the big ones in Memphis, and then pulled pork sandwiches. Because it's a location along the Mississippi River, allowed access to shipping and things like that. They got some amazing warming spices to use, lots of tomatoes, and of course, molasses through the slave trade and through the molasses trade and the sugar trade, which helped create their very signature thick, sweet, but bitey sauce that we know as Memphis barbecue. Great region all to itself. You know, Memphis is a phenomenal city to go and explore. It's a great food city. So I suggest if you're one of them who travels for food, do it. Go to Memphis. Another big one, West Tennessee. Now, we're getting very specific when we're talking about West Tennessee. Whole hog hog barbecue, which is a dying art and made famous by the pitmaster, Pat Martin. Pat Martin is an amazing pitmaster who understands the complete process of using the entire animal for whole hog barbecue. The traditional... I was going to say, you can also find that in uh, Vermont with, with our whole entire family, and during Labor Day, we do a whole hog. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I would suggest you look up Pat Martin to find a little bit more about that from him, because he really is the pitmaster that's done it. 
You know, I would say in West Tennessee, the number of authentic, traditional whole hog barbecue places is probably less than 25 now. Who oh, wow. do it in a traditional manner. And it's a dying art. Nobody wants to do it. It's a lot of work. You know, so Pat Martin's book, uh, Life of Fire, is an amazing book talking about whole hog. The, the sauce is generally a peppery, very acidic sauce that plays off the fatty meat of the whole hog. It's just a fabulous, fabulous thing. Another great barbecue, I can't rule this out by any means, is one of the quintessential barbecues in America is Kansas City. It's known for its very sweet, thick sauce that's loaded with brown sugar, molasses, and tomato. Kansas City really speaks to the Black American influence. Men like Henry Perry, his protege, Arthur Bryant, and Brother Charlie Bryant, as well as, you know, um, Ollie and some of the other great pitmasters that were out there that really made Kansas City a mecca for barbecue. Kansas City is real big on beef as well. Um, it can feature a variety of meats, but the sauce is really the king in Kansas City. Arthur Bryant's and Ollie Gates' business are still favorite haunts in Kansas City. These two places I recommend if you go to Kansas City, go visit Arthur Bryant's, go visit Ollie Gates, go visit their businesses, try their original recipes. Don't ask for the secret because they're just going to laugh at you, okay? These are things that are as protected as anything you can find. The government has nothing on the protection process for the recipes that they have here. Let's move around to a little bit. Let's come to Carolinas, specifically Western Carolina, which they call a Piedmont style. It's known for his red ketchup-based sauce. Um, Western Carolina also focuses on pork shoulder. And as you know, strange as this may sound, this is very influenced by Bavarian heritage. The Bavarian settlers really played a part in developing this barbecue style. Um, the inspirational dish was originally a Bavarian pork shoulder that was served with a vinegar-based sweet and sour sauce. When they came about with ketchup and started mixing it in, and they really developed that style of barbecue in Western North Carolina. But then you can go over to Eastern Carolina and get the Lexington style, often considered the original Carolina barbecue. It features whole hogs smoked 12 plus hours, often all night, over wood coals and serving it with a very peppery based vinegar sauce. The common thing in both the Western and the Eastern uh, Carolina barbecues is what you serve with them. Hush puppies served with both. It's great for, you know, dipping in, picking up some of that remaining sauce and it also absorbs any of the beer or bourbon that you're going down with it. With so that you can Carolina. have some more. <laughs> right, so Carolina is going to be a common thing. The other two things that you're always going to get down in the Carolina barbecue house is slaw and sweet tea. And when I talk about sweet tea, it is sweet and it is delicious and refreshing. So Carolina barbecue is a whole unique thing to itself, but you have the Western and Eastern, the Piedmont and Lexington styles. Okay. Um, the other thing that is very unique in the Eastern 
Carolina barbecue is the meat has this really cool shine to it because they use that thin peppery vinegar sauce that they baste it in and it develops this really cool shine to the meat that really stands out and I think you'll find it very unique. Texas. Well, we can't talk about barbecue if we don't talk about Texas and the history of Texas is all about barbecue and the fact that you know, Texas was a place where a lot of the emancipated slaves first moved to, uh, settled in, and brought barbecue history, barbecue styles with them. Texas has three major regional types, but there are so many other more specific, smaller areas that we could talk about. But just to cover Texas, we're going to talk about the Central, East, and South Texas. So Central Texas is where it began in the Lone Star State. It is simply seasoned beef, simply done. Just I'm talking salt, pepper, garlic, not much more going into it. That is cooked long and slow. <laughs> In Central Texas, the meat is the star and sauces or sides are afterthoughts. I mean, it is not uncommon to go to a barbecue place in Central Texas and order, you know, a beautiful beef brisket or something like that and get nothing else but that. And you might get a roll and you just sit there and eat that. And that is dinner. And there is nothing, there is nothing wrong with that. It is so delicious. So when I say central Texas, I'm talking Austin. Austin is the, the home of central Texas barbecue. It's absolutely fantastic. You're doing that. East Texas is a bit more open and both beef and pork can shine and share the smoker and the grill. And there are generous amounts of sides that are offered with the, um, the Eastern Texas, you know, barbecue dinner and sandwiches are also often served. The sauce is a kind of thick, rich tomato based sauce, uh, doing part to the, you know, migration to Eastern Texas of the emancipated slaves that we talked about who took refuge or refuge there in the late 1880s. And Eastern is also a very long, slow process over indirect heat and usually features hickory wood. Two areas that I suggest are um, the, Dagen, the Dagenfield and Marshall. You'll find if you go to Marshall in Eastern Texas, you'll find, and I'm talking a small town, but you'll find some of the most authentic, great local barbecue places in the country there. And it will be met with Texas hospitality beyond approach. And I say that as a lifetime Philadelphia Eagles fan. If you're a barbecue person, you've got to go to Texas. So Southern Texas, embedded with a strong Mexican influence, South Texas is often referred to as the Barbacoa region because you've got that Latin America influence coming up. Again, a truly dying art that uses unconventional cuts, such as the head, the tongue, the diaphragm, and often includes goat in its barbecue style. They're usually smoked in underground pits. And you're often going to find it served with things like tortillas, guacamole, salsa, Mexican fixings. If you're going to go and try Southern Texas barbecue, 
you got to go to Dyer's. Dyer's Barbecue in, you know, Southern Texas is really the the gold mine and the authentic real thing. But this again, you know, is another one that is in danger of becoming extinct because the generations coming up don't want to put in the work and the labor that, you know, our, you know, fathers and, and grandfathers did. So, you know, hopefully some people jump in and Dyers will keep going because Southern style Texas barbecue is a unique product. The goat is fabulous. You'll really, really, really find something different there. When I think of Georgia, of course, we all think of peaches. We all think of, you know, the, the beautiful Georgia glasses that, that live there and the sweet peaches and the sweet tea. But Georgia barbecue is a unique product in itself. It is a pork, usually a pork based, pork rated supreme. But in Georgia, you can also find some brisket, sausage, chopped chicken going on. It is heavily smoked. And the variations in sauce, there are variations in sauce throughout the state, but it is a state that is extremely, extremely proud of its barbecue. Georgia takes a great deal of pride. Not many people talk about it, but they really do take a great deal of pride in their barbecue. And you can find things like peach and few sauces and things like that going on in Georgia. South Carolina. I don't know if I can talk about barbecue without talking about South Carolina. Whole hog barbecue with a mustard-based sauce. The state is actually known for four types of sauces. Forget three, just get the mustard sauce. Go there. I uh, during COVID, I went down to do some catering for the um, USA Volleyball Invitational uh, on grass. Had some amazing little barbecue, just you know, in a local place. I think there was 10 of us that had barbecue. We each got a giant plate of barbecue. We got a couple side dishes. We got our beverages and we got some desserts. And when the bill came, I think it was $140 or something like that. <laughs> and I, I went to the guy and said, I think there's a mistake here. And that was really it. I mean, it was just absolutely fabulous. I ended up having to go back and buy some more of his mustard bean sauce or this to take home. But in Texas, the tangy mustard sauce is the star. It's what it's all about, really, in barbecue. But you can get also a heavily tomato-based sauce. You can get a little bit of a lighter tomato-based sauce with some pepper and vinegar. Um, and then you can get a strictly pepper and vinegar sauce that is fabulous. Hawaii, the melting part of flavors, Hawaiian-based barbecue, or the Hawaiian clue of pork that speaks to the cultures and influences of Korean, Chinese, Filipino, Portuguese. The sides in, in Hawaii are very funny. You usually get rice and macaroni salad. One unique item that they carry in, in Hawaii that they call barbecue is something called loco moco. Um, it is a hamburger meat with eggs and a gravy that's kind of gravy barbecue saucy. It's a really unique dish and it's great breakfast, lunch, or dinner. And remember in Hawaiian barbecue, don't forget seafood and don't forget spam. More spam is sold in Hawaii than any other state in America. Okay. Alabama. I love talking about Alabama barbecue. 
Um, it features a very unique uh, designation because it is a thick white barbecue sauce made from mayonnaise, vinegar, salt, and pepper. It's very different. Um, pork is, the, is normally the choice meat, but historically, you know, beef and poultry were also used. It is a truly unique barbecue experience, usually experienced in a type of a sandwich. So you'll get like a pulled sandwich or something like that. Kentucky. Having to stand out, Kentucky was uh, found a way to off, you know, really stand alone in the barbecue because one of the things that they do in Kentucky, along with other types of meat, is they're big on mutton. They're big on lamb barbecues. And it's usually a peppery vinegar sauce and then a Worcestershire uh, sauce style dip that goes with it. But you'll also find in parts of Kentucky, especially in Western, turkey and cured ham being done in sandwiches like that. And then up in Lexington, you'll find shredded pork with a tomato-based sauce, so very different. Chicago, not often thought of a barbecue mecca, but Chicago takes an old-world approach to barbecue from its immigrants. They brought spices over. They're very unique. In Chicago, you'll find a lot of propane-heated smokers so they can keep going through the brutal Chicago winters, okay? It's usually a wet rub and a vinegar-based sauce, and it's usually talking about ribs. That's what you usually get in Chicago. So Virginia, there are many who believe that Virginia is actually the birthplace of American barbecue. Virginia barbecue or Southern barbecue has its roots in Native Americans who were living in that region and then enhanced by the slaves who were living in that region. And obviously, um, you know, people like Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, who had Mansion Center, had a lot of barbecues. So I think the Virginia, to me, is the birthplace of American barbecue and a very unique thing like that. They have four different types of sauces. They have a sweet aromatic tomato sauce up north. Um, in the central part, you'll get a sweet and sour style, often added with peanut butter or root beer to the sauce. In the Tidewater region, you get a tomato vinegar uh, herb, and then you know, you often in the Shenandoah Valley get a very uh, herbaceous herb-based vinegar sauce. Central California, one of the best kept secrets, Santa Maria in San Luis Obispo County is like the star for Central California barbecue. It has a very Mexican uh, flavor. What you get out of there is what's called a tri-tip beef smoked over red oak. It's a dry rub. And, is, and the rub is often usually put on the coals. So that comes up and gives it to that too. And then I can't admit St. Louis barbecue. St. Louis barbecue has a rack of ribs that the sternum, the cartilage, and the tips have been removed. So it makes a very stackable rack of ribs. It's a very cool stackable rack of ribs. Um, this, you know, the it's a sweet sauce. Again, it's a thick sauce. But you'll often find with St. Louis barbecue, it's a separate entry in barbecue competitions. Tri-tip is another one that's often a central entry. But, you know, St. Louis, that, that meat ribs are very cool, unique uh, style all to itself. So St. Louis barbecue is a, just a very unique thing. So I'm going to give you my rundown on the places in America. We talked about a couple in Kansas City already. We're going to go and talk about this is and these are in no well actually they are in a particular order and the one i'm going to talk first 
is a destination all to itself. The rest are in no particular order, but this is Gene Blum's barbecue mecca, aside from the places I've already talked about in Texas and Kansas City. 7th Street, 17th Street Barbecue in Murfreesboro, Illinois. Mike Mills and his daughter, Amy, do an amazing job using cherry and applewood to really create a great flavor. They also have a book out and they teach classes. If you can't get barbecue there, get the book there, do some online classes, whatever. 17th Street Barbecue, Murfreesboro, Illinois. Awesome. And in no particular order. Red Ridges Barbecue in Shelby, North Carolina. North Carolina Barbecue at its own. Central Barbecue in Memphis, Tennessee. Takes the Tennessee style barbecue all the way up. Franklin Barbecue in Austin, Texas. If you don't go, you're missing out in life. Truth Barbecue in Benham, Texas. Another one. Unique, truly good. Let's come to the East Coast here. Hometown Barbecue in Brooklyn, New York. Yes, I did say Brooklyn, New York. Hometown Barbecue. Make the trip. If you're close, get there. Go out to Chicago. Lem's Barbecue in Chicago. If you're in Charleston, South Carolina, Lou's Bar or I'm sorry, Lewis Barbecue in Charleston, South Carolina. And then if you're out in um, in St. Louis, Happy's Barbecue in St. Louis, fabulous barbecue. St. Louis is a really unique city. Don't sell it short. Great bourbon bars, great barbecue, very unique. If we come back to this region, kind of my barbecue places where I'm going on, if I have any you know, opportunity locally. So I'm going to start with Link Johnson's in Pipersville, Pennsylvania. They do an amazing product up at Link Johnson's. There's a, a barbecue place that I'm very proud of in Lower Bucks County as I was a culinary instructor for one of the sons who opened up the business that Smoking Dude Barbecue in Bucks County. They also do great barbecue catering at a very, very regional price. Angry Deacon, another in, in the area. Angry Deacon, find it, go, try it. Deeks on Ridge, Ave on Ridge Avenue. Little hole in the wall right off. You get off the school expressway at Route 1. Get on to Ridge Avenue. Deeks is this little place. You almost drive by and say it's too small to be a restaurant. Tried me. North by Texas in the Chestnut Hill Farmers Market. Great takeout. You can get some there. You can get the Chestnut Hill Brewery right there. Have a little bit of the. Uh, they have a beer at Chestnut Hill Brewery called the uh, uh, Sister Carol Ann Vale Pale Ale, named after a nun who is retired retiring after thirty years. So get a little North by Texas barbecue and have a Vale Pale Ale to celebrate that you go to lucky well lucky well at ambler i like the lucky well because not only do they have great 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 barbecue but they have amazing bourbon selection to go with it some good beers to go with it holy q in lahaska who has been with us on the show holy q in lahaska fabulous local barbecue and then as much as i don't like to throw out uh you know corporate people I got to go with uh, Fetzal on, on Frankfurt Avenue, which is a star restaurant group. Uh, great barbecue is another local barbecue. But as we get into the summer, I encourage you to get out to try barbecue to do all that.
been a pleasure talking to you about barbecue. One of my favorite things to do. It is an amazing, amazing food style that is distinctly American today. Comes from, you know, thousands of years of practice. That being said, go out, enjoy, eat. And then love up on that barbecue. So what's out of all the different styles, which is your favorite? Real quick, last answer. Southern Carolina. <laughs> Southern Carolina. You know, I, I am, and my wife is fond of saying this. If I'm going to be stranded on an island and I only get to have one type of animal, it's going to be a pig every time. You know? Gotcha. I like, uh, for all of our listeners out there, if you are interested, my favorite is definitely um, the Memphis, where you have that nice balance of sweet and tang. I mean, to me, there's no bad barbecue. It's all, you know, fabulous, fabulous, the American tradition. And Memphis does add that whole home of the blues, birthplace of rock and roll, Memphis influence, you know, head down to the river, you know, enjoy that whole world down there. And Memphis is a unique town because while it is a tourist destination, it is a blue collar town. Memphis is like Philadelphia. We are blue collar. We are hardcore about our food. So you got a good choice there. <laughs> all right. So thank you, Gene, for telling us all about the, you know, everything related to barbecue. And, you know, want to round us out and give us a happy Tuesday? Absolutely. So you can reach me at ibfoodie2 at yahoo.com, or you can find me across social media at ibfoodie or ibfoodie2 or at Gene Blum. You can always email me or message me questions concerning barbecue, concerning any cooking, cooking history. And you can also find us through Food Farms and Chefs. And everybody have a great summer. Enjoy cold beer, great bourbon, and barbecue. PhillyRestaurantReviews.com for all information about the show. Amorous Pop. You can find me across social media. I'm at ARPolitics. And if you'd like to be a sponsor of the show, email me at ARPolitics at gmail.com. Chef Gene. You can find me across social media at foodie 2 or at GBLOM, where you can email me directly at IBFOODIE, the number two at yahoo.com. Have a fabulous week, everybody. Eat, enjoy. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.